My name is R. Dallas Green. I'm welcome to Grace Community Church. The spring is my favorite time of year, and there's no time like spring to begin to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Debbie and I, our small group leadership, went recently to the West Coast to um, near Seattle, Washington, a place called Mount Vernon, and one morning we got up early, and we went to a place called the Roots and Garden. And behind me is a picture of my beloved Debbie in one of those beautiful places I'd ever seen. You know, the Christian journey is a beautiful journey. There standing beside Debbie are these beautiful tulips, colors I had never seen before, these beautiful reds and pinks and yellows. They grow so many tulips there in this place, they actually send them to Holland. So I want to share with you this very beautiful place that um, has a very fond memory for me. This time of year, we think about planning something. And I want you to know a little bit about me, about my story, before I tell you the greatest story. But I was raised uh, in a family, and we grew, we had a little farm, and we grew some vegetables on our little farm. And when Debbie and I got married, we began doing life in community with some other couples. And I verbalized my desire to grow some green beans, which happened to be my favorite vegetable, and tomatoes and squash. One of the members of our small group <clears throat> told me on his own accord, I've just rototilled my garden. I just plowed up my garden. Would you like to borrow my rototiller? And I said, sure. So he had a pickup, and he delivered the rototiller to my house, and he showed me how to work it, how to crank it up, you know, how to engage the blade, and I really love this guy. So he, after he left, just shortly, I began to rototill my own garden behind my house. Now, to be honest, the soil was much harder than I expected. There were lots of uh, rocks in the soil, and I had to kind of press down hard on the rototiller. And to be honest, the rototiller was a little older than I expected. You might call the rototiller, rototiller an antique. So as I was trying to break up the soil, something happened that I'll never forget. <clears throat> the handle that I was holding onto, the frame, broke loose from the blade. Honestly, I did not know what to do. My friend had delivered his rototiller to me, showing me the kindness of God. He had gone the extra mile by showing me how to work. The rototiller was his father's rototiller, and I had broken it. So I decided, first of all, I would try to find the parts to repair it. Now, if you know anything about my mechanical abilities, <laughs> it's a long shot. Long shot. Okay. The internet wasn't available then, but there were then, you know, garden lawn stores. So I kind of went to several of them. And I remember after a long search, this elderly gentleman putting his hand on my shoulder saying, son, we stopped making the machine long ago. <laughs> now I was stuck. I had been given it, this gift. I, um, you know, couldn't fix it. I didn't have the parts. I'd broken it. So now being a, the spiritual giant I am, I decided I would hide from my friend. <laughs> when I saw him, we worked together in the same place, I avoided him. When we were together in community, I did not make eye contact with him, hoping he would never, ever bring up the subject. I don't know if any of you have ever wrestled with the subject of avoidance, of avoiding issues in your life, avoiding conflict. But I was kind of taught growing up to avoid conflict, to avoid making confession, 
to avoid speaking the truth. And this pattern of my life had spilled over into my relationship with my friend. And one day, when I wasn't expecting it, I felt a tap on my shoulder, and he said, Hey, R, how's, how are you doing? To which I said, Nothing. Then he said, How's your garden doing? Now, with a smile on his face, he said to me again, How is your garden doing? Now, this was a huge moment for me because he's about to say something to me I'll never forget, but this is what I said to him. The bottom line is, I broke your rototiller. Shortly after you brought it over, I cranked it up, I began to plow for about 30 minutes, and the handle and the chassis broke loose loose from the plow. I've been everywhere looking for parts, and I can't find them. Now, what I expected, given the environment I was raised in, was to find judgment, criticism, rejection. Something like, I can't believe you broke my rototiller. (laughs) I honestly believed that to break his rototiller was to break the relationship. I expected to hear, good friend you are, you broke my rototiller. But what came out of his mouth was words I did not expect. And this is what he said. R, I love you. You are my friend, and you will always be my friend. You are more valuable to me than any rototiller on this earth. Something broken deep inside of me healed that day in the presence of love. God had manifested love to me. God had spoken grace over me. God had spoken value over my life. The broken relationship was repaired. Now, if I lose you anywhere in this sermon, what this is about is the necessity of the cross to have peace with God. So what do I believe about conflict? I believe that conflict is inevitable. Conflicts are going to happen within yourself. Conflicts are going to happen at your workplace. Conflicts will happen in your neighborhood. Conflicts will happen at school. Conflicts happen within your marriage, within your children. Conflicts are inevitable. I did not try to make this conflict with my friend, but I was believing something that was false, namely, to break his rototiller was to break the relationship. Secondly, conflicts always create distance. Usually when people are in conflict with one another, there is a distance, a barrier, a separation. Conflict pushes people apart. Brothers in conflict, not talking to one another. Couples in conflict, creating distance with each other. Roommates in conflict, you know, I need some space. This is not working out. But conflict always produces for us also an opportunity. It creates an opportunity. Conflict is an opportunity for us to listen, for us to see the other person's point of view, for us to um, take a path together, for us who are adversarial, oppositional, to work through our differences. And conflict resolves when there is a turn of the heart. The hardness of the heart 
begins to soften. People that haven't spoken to each other begin to speak. Issues that are unaddressed begin to begin to be addressed. The heart literally begins to shift, and we see the conflict from the other person's point of view, which takes us to the gospel. The gospel is about the beautiful heart of God. God's compassion for us moved him to an action. Knowing that we had too much pride inside of us, God humbled himself by coming to us, taking the initiative. God sent his one and only son, his name Jesus, from heaven on a peace mission to earth. It is in God's heart to make peace with mankind, to reconcile us to himself. You see, in the very beginning, there was serenity with God, and that peace was broken. Jesus Christ has come to this world, came to this world to restore the peace between us and God. One of the words that Jesus spoke often was the word shalom, peace. Peace to a broken, fractured world, to a world full of division and hatred and strife and discord. Jesus came to bring peace. The perfect Son of God making a perfect sacrifice for imperfect people like you and I that our relationship with God could be restored. Well, we're in a series out of the book of Colossians we're calling Stronger, and I'd like to turn your attention now to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20. Just one verse of that, but I'll reference some of the verses around it. Colossians 1 and verse 20. Let me read it to you. It says this, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The verse begins, through him. Well, the question is, who is the him referred to here? That is Jesus. And the context of the verse takes us back to verse 15, giving to us the identity of this person, Jesus Christ, saying he is well qualified for the reconciliation mission. First of all, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Do you see it in verse 15? He is the image of the invisible God. God who is invisible became visible in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus said when, to Philip, when you've seen me, you've also seen the Father. Jesus is the reflection of the Father, the Father's heart. Not only is that, he is the firstborn over all creation, verse 15. Speaking of Jesus being first or preeminent, having the highest rank. He is the creator, for by him all things were created in heaven, on earth. Not only is he the creator, he is also the sustainer. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Verse 18, and he is the firstborn from the dead. There's the identity of the person of Jesus Christ, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might have the supremacy. It's speaking here of the resurrection. The false teaching of this day was called docetism, that Jesus only appeared to be human, 
He only seemed to go to a cross and suffer. The assertion being made in the book of Colossians is that Jesus Christ really did become human. He really did go to a cross. He really did suffer. He really did die upon a cross. He really was buried. He really did rise again from the dead. So the resurrection of Jesus proves to us at least four things. The first of them is that it proves that he, Jesus, is undeniably God. Romans 1, verse 4. Who was declared the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. We have been born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. They laid Jesus Christ in the tomb. They stationed guards on the outside, but Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, and it proves that he is undeniably God. Secondly, that God has accepted Christ's sacrifice on the cross, which was necessary for our salvation. Remember, the cross is necessary for our salvation. Romans 4, 25. He was delivered over to death for our sins. The just for the unjust. The righteous for the unrighteous. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Justification means just as if I had never sinned. It is a righteous declaration God makes upon those who believe. And third, the power that our bodies will be raised again and be made new. 1 Corinthians 15 and 20. But Christ indeed has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And fourth, it opens the door, the resurrection opens the door that we can have peace with God. That though we may have conflicts in this world, that there may be conflicts on the outside, that Jesus is our peace, that he has abolished the barrier that stood between us. He has put away the, bo- the wall of separation. And by him, the two have become one. Christ himself is our peace. Through him, that is Jesus, to reconcile, that means to exchange hostility for friendship, to himself. You see, we are being reconciled back to God by what Jesus Christ did by making peace by the blood of the cross. You see, originally between us and God, there was harmony and tranquility and serenity. But then there was a breach, the breach wherein there is no longer harmony. Sin entered the world, and our parents tried to cover up their sin. Our parents tried to hide themselves from God. Our parents walked around with much guilt. You say, Pastor, how do you know the first story of the Bible is true? Well, what did I do when I broke my friend's rototiller? I tried to cover up what I had done. I tried to fix my own problem. I tried to hide. I lived in guilt. You see, I am a son of Adam. And the very same nature that Adam had, I had. So sin comes very normally to me. I wanted somebody to pursue me. I wanted someone to take initiative toward me and show me grace. Jesus Christ took the initiative by coming down to earth, 
by becoming one of us, by going to a cross, by taking our place, by absorbing God's wrath, by satisfying his justice, by showing us his mercy to restore the relationship back to us. You see, peace means that we no longer are in conflict or in strife with one another, no longer in enmity. Now there is the presence of peace. Shalom. Peace is a beautiful gift, and it comes by the blood shed on the cross. We are brought together by the precious blood of Jesus. A man was riding on a commuter train, and his train collided with an SUV that was sitting on the railroad tracks. The man was asleep in the upper deck of the commuter train. And when he awakened, he was in the debris, and he was covered with blood. Though the man was badly injured, he wanted to leave behind a message. So he wrote with his own blood a message to his family, I love you. This is what Jesus did on the cross. He left a message to us to say, I love you. The message is written in blood, a message written to us to show us the extent of God's love. That God demonstrates his love towards us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It is the blood of Jesus that cleanses our conscience from sin. It is the blood of Jesus that buys us back, redeems us from the slave market of sin. In him we have forgiveness, the redemption that comes through the blood. You see, great is the love of God the Father that he would give his only son to die on a cross in order to reconcile us back to God. It says here that we formerly were alienated from God, at enmity with God. But, but now, through Christ, we have been reconciled. You see, Christ was God reconciling the world to himself, not counting man's sins against him. God wants to be reconciled to you. He has sent his son Jesus to reconcile you back to himself. Scripture number 2, John chapter 20, verse 19. Here's a scene from the resurrection. John chapter 20 in verse number 19. Here's what it says. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were all together, with the doors that were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. I want to make three observations about this scene. First of all, the doors were locked. Now, Jesus didn't have to knock on the door, <laughs> looking for someone to open the door to him. But the doors were locked, and we know something about locked doors, don't we? We lock the doors when we park in the parking garage. We lock the doors of our house before we go to sleep at night because we feel safer if we lock the doors. What was happening in the lives of these disciples was they were feeling quite unsafe. There was a disciple, his name was Joseph of Arimathea, and he came and asked for Jesus' body, secretly. He was a quiet disciple. Why? Because he had an intense fear of the Jews. These men were afraid to identify themselves with the person of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus was their leader, their savior, and he had been arrested and been crucified. And to associate with Jesus could surely mean their own arrest or their own execution. Today in your life, there are fears that we all grapple with, right? And we lock the doors. You could say that something was ruling the disciples' life. They were governed by a feeling. They had the faith to get together, but not the faith to go out. They were locked up or paralyzed. I'm sure you know somebody whose life is sort of locked up. They are hiding behind some wall, behind the wall trying to create safety, afraid to come out. They are feeling shame and guilt about what they have done, about where they have been. They feel dirty or they feel filthy. They feel stained. They feel broken. The truth is that when we hide behind locked doors, though they create for us some degree of safety, they also create a prison wherein we are. So the disciples were locked the doors trying to create safety for themselves. I have a friend of mine, and he says before he went to church, he would always wash his car. And before he went to church, he would always put on his very best clothes because he always wanted to make an appearance to everybody else that everything was looking good in his life. Look at his car, look at his clothes. He looked really fine. You see, the truth is, there's a reality behind the outward appearances. And the reality for the disciples was they had locked up themselves behind closed doors. Secondly, they were afraid. They were frightened. They were ruled by a feeling. They were governed by an emotion. What feeling were the disciples being run by? It was fear. Fear was governing their lives. It is into this fear that Jesus comes. I draw attention to this because this is the need we have more than any others, is to allow Jesus to speak into our fears and to still our fears. The fear, I won't be prepared for what's expected of me to do. The fear that I won't be a good parent or grandparent. The fear that my kids will make shipwreck of their lives. The fear that I won't be able to suffer well or die well. The fear that I won't have the courage to live well. We all live with all different kinds of fears. We have fears that we have messed up our lives. We have a fear that we have messed up our kids' lives. We have a fear the world will seduce our kids. We have fear that our marriage won't make it. There's no denying that we live with all different kinds of fears. Jesus is saying, as he comes to the disciples, I know what your fears are. Third, Jesus comes and stands in their midst. When the doors were locked and they were afraid, Jesus came and stood among them. Jesus came right into the meeting. He didn't stay on the edge of the room or on the outside. Jesus came manifesting his presence. Jesus came manifesting his presence. That tells me that even as Jesus came into that room, 
Jesus can come into this room to manifest his presence. We can sense the presence of Jesus in this room, that this is a room where there's safety. We can be honest and open. We can be vulnerable with each other and authentic about each other. You see, Jesus wants to manifest his presence to us because he wants to restore relationship. And remember the words that Jesus spoke. Jesus said to them, peace be unto you. These men were not feeling any peace that morning. They were troubled and disturbed. And Jesus was speaking peace over their lives. Which brings me to my to my easel. Now, I'm not an artist. And to be honest with you, I have fears about drawing for you because I'm not a really good drawing person. But I'd like to explain something to you that may help you a little bit in this journey toward reconciliation. This is who we are. We are man. You may be a man, or you may be a woman. You may be a young man, or you may be a young woman. You may be an old man, or an old woman. But you are in the category of man. This is where we are. This is man. And over here, on the other side, is God. Now, though God made you, you are made in the likeness and image of God, you were crowned with glory and honor you do have this barrier between you and God. It's called a chasm. There's a chasm between us and God. And so when I talk to people, I ask them, I said, do you know for sure that you're going to heaven? And people will say, you know, I kind of hope I'm going to heaven. I kind of like to go to heaven. I mean, I'd rather go to heaven than the alternative. So I'll say, like, how do you know for sure that you're going to heaven? And most people will say to me, well, how would you answer the question? If somebody said to you, if you were to die tonight and stand before God, and he were to say to you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? Well, there'd be all different kinds of answers around this room, right? I had an answer once, and so most people will say to me, I'm trying to be a good person, right? I'm trying to live by the Ten Commandments. And so what happens is we make these efforts to find favor with God by being philanthropic, by being a humanitarian, by paying it forward, by being a moral, ethical person, but they all fall short, you see. The Bible says if we try to keep all the laws of God and yet fail at one point, we sin. So the basic problem that we have as mankind is the problem called sin. You were born into sin, and by nature you are a sinner, and you practice sin. We all know much about sin. And so I say to people, what is sin? Well, see, sin is a violation. It's a violation of your conscience of right and wrong. It's a violation of God's word. It's an iniquity passed down to you from your parents. It's the wrongdoings you've done in your life. You see sin. So sin creates this separation between us and God. We also have a lack of peace. We'd like to have peace in our hearts, 
but we have conflicts with people. We have conflicts within ourselves. We have conflicts at work. We have conflicts in our school. There's a lack of peace that we are grappling with, right? This gnawing restlessness inside of us. This lack of harmony we experience in our world. So there's a lack of peace. The Bible says that in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All around this room, you are surrounded with sinners. Every person here is a sinner. Some of us have sinned a lot. But we've all sinned. We've all sinned. But sin has a price tag. The Bible says the wages of sin, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Sin leads to a separation between us and God. So, the solution to our problem is not for us to work harder. God has a remedy to our sin. The remedy to our sin is the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross is God's remedy to our sin. Because on the cross, our sin was transferred to Jesus. Our past, present, future sin was transferred to Jesus. You see, Jesus on the cross was bearing our sin. Jesus on the cross was trying to reconcile us to God. Jesus on the cross was redeeming us from sin. God's remedy to our sin is the cross. So what is the solution to our problem? The solution to our problem is John chapter 1 and verse 12. This is what it says. To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called the sons of God, the children of God. The solution to our problem is Romans 10, 13. That if you confess him with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you're going to get saved. The solution is John chapter 5 and verse 24. That whoever believes in him, who hears his word, will not be judged, will receive eternal life, and will cross over from death unto life. You see, God has a remedy for our sin. And the remedy for our sin is the cross. God was making peace with mankind through the cross. So we must believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross for our sins to be reconciled to God. So you say, or how do we then begin our prayer life? We see God had a big purpose. And the purpose is John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus said, I've come to give you life, and more abundant kind of life. The life that Jesus came to give you was a life full of love and a life full of joy and a life full of peace. But the fundamental part of the peace is a peace with God. You see, I can't guarantee in your office there will be peace, but I can guarantee that the peace of God can be inside of you in your office. And I can't guarantee in your household there will be peace. But I can guarantee you that peace of God can live inside your heart, that you can bring peace into your house. And I can't guarantee there will be peace in this world, but I can guarantee you that God can send peacemakers 
into this world with the peace of Christ in their heart. You see, the remedy to our problem is the cross of Jesus Christ, that God was in Christ making peace by the blood of the cross. It was his blood being shed on the cross that established peace between us and God. And those who believe it and confess him to be Lord and believe that God has raised him back from the dead are saved. God has a remedy to the world's problems and it's the peace that Jesus Christ comes to give. You say, where's it start? Where's it start? Okay, here we go. Trying to be practical. God, I've got a problem. Got many problems, but I got problem. You have a purpose for my life. You have a destiny upon me. You have a purpose for me. You want my life to matter. I want my life to matter also, God. I want to fulfill that destiny. I want to fulfill that purpose. But here's my problem. There's a lack of peace in my heart. There's a lack of peace in my heart. So I'm going to make that confession. And I'm going to receive the gift that you came to give. Remember over here? As many as received him. Salvation is a gift. Salvation is free. Salvation is available. The work of Christ is now complete. There is nothing left for us to do than to receive it. Salvation comes to us by God's grace through faith. Not of ourselves. It's a gift from God. So you have to say, first of all, God, I really want to receive that gift. I believe that Jesus Christ took my place on a cross. He substituted himself for me. I deserve to die, and he died in my place. And then the confession, right? The confession. I believe and confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him back from the dead. I sometimes have wondered what happened to my rototiller. Did it just go into the junk heap? Or was there a welder that came along and saw value in that old beat-up rototiller that was given to me, and he welded the pieces back together again, and it began to work again? You see, all of us have some degree of brokenness, just like me, just like my rototiller, and it's God through the cross that reconciles us back to himself. The last verse I'll leave you with is from Colossians. It says this, from Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart since we were called to peace into one body. God wants for you to experience and encounter the person of Jesus Christ and the peace that he brings. Because we can have no peace as long as sin is ruling in our life. But when we begin to surrender our lives to him, yield our lives to Jesus, and believe that on the cross what he did was sufficient to pay for our sins, the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and God regenerates us, makes us brand new, so that now we become his children. It's a great gift that God really wants to give you. So would you just pray with me? Our Father in heaven, this morning we are amazed at your love for us. That God, you through Christ, 
have effected reconciliation and given to us a ministry of reconciliation. That God, you were in your Son, Jesus Christ, reconciling the world to yourself, not counting our sins against us. That God, there's a remedy for our sin. If we could only humble ourselves and receive that gift. So this morning, God, we just want to have a conversation with you. That's what prayer is, just having a conversation. And just admit, God, I want to have purpose in my life. Just say that out loud. I want to have purpose in my life. But I have a great problem. Say that with me. I have a great problem. I have sin in my life. Say that. I have sin in my life. But God, the remedy for my sin was the cross of Jesus Christ. And I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin. Say that with me. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin. I confess that he is Lord. I confess that he is Lord and that he is risen. And he is risen. Thank you, God, for that salvation. Now, that prayer, or something like that prayer, you may have prayed many times before, okay? But for some of you, that was a prayer of beginnings. There's a brand new beginning happening for somebody's life here. Because you're understanding that God has a purpose for your life. That you have a deep problem of this restlessness, of sin, of lack of peace. And the remedy is the cross the cross where Jesus died. And now you've entered into a brand new life. So we're going to speak words over you. That no matter where you are, no matter where you've come from, no matter what you've done, you're not guilty anymore. You're not filthy anymore. You are clean and washed and justified in the name of Jesus Christ. And we have some baskets here. And in your program, there's a sheet that you can fill out. And it goes like this. It says on, on the sheet, I have made a first-time decision to follow Jesus. We want to celebrate that. That would be an amazing moment in your life to declare publicly you are a follower of Jesus Christ. You can just check that off and bring it on up. The second is, I have decided to return to church. I really want to become part of a body. I want to be encouraged in my faith. You can check that one off. Or third, I would like a church leader to help me in my faith journey. We want to come alongside of you to bring encouragement. You put down your name and your contact information, and we'd be glad to get in touch. We want to help you in your discipleship journey. Would you receive this last song as we stand together? doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you're coming from. It doesn't matter where you've been. Hear me tell you, I forgive. You're not guilty anymore. You're not filthy anymore. I love you. 
that you're not guilty anymore in Christ. There is no condemnation. You are blameless and righteous and pardoned and holy and free. Pray with me. Father, on this resurrection day, this Easter Sunday, we thank you for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God and the salvation for all those who believe. Father, I pray for the believers here as they've seen what's called the bridge illustration, the great chasm between us and God, that, Father, we might be able to use this again and again in people's lives, at Starbucks, at Chipotle, writing on a napkin, explaining the great gospel that you have given to us. For us who have stepped into the kingdom, Lord, we thank you for the new life we have in Christ and the journey that's ahead. May we, Father, find someone to disciple us, to be part of small group community, and to grow in our faith. Father, may the word of God become even more precious to us as we savor it and drink it in. We receive this song and this word this morning that we truly are not filthy anymore. In the name of Jesus, amen. God bless you all. Really good.